My name is Kate the Socialite, and you're listening to episode 225 of The Kate Show. And today I'm talking about how to market your interior design services, or really any services that you offer, to high net worth clients, to the ultra wealthy. So if you have been struggling to get your first client, or if your ultimate goal is to attract the high net worth client, but all your marketing methods are falling flat, you need to hear today's episode. You need to meet today's guest self-made international entrepreneur, interior designer, and architect Nina Parvarish pulls back the curtain on how she broke into the ultra-wealthy demographic. And by that, I mean, think Dubai, Milan, and locations in Saudi Arabia. And she didn't have any initial connections. She started from the ground up, just like all of us do. Nina generously shares in this interview her current marketing strategy. Yes, a gold, right? You have to hear it. The reason designers should be confident before they're successful and so many other pieces of advice that I know you're going to love and find a lot of value in. But before we get into that, I want to share a little bit more about our guest. Nina was born and raised in a charming town an hour away from Paris. From the buildings that surrounded her in Paris to the modern designs of New York, interiors and architecture have informed her hobbies and inspirations. After she graduated, she got an opportunity to teach the first batch of female architecture students in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, and started her company, Concept Me, at the same time. Concept Me is a boutique firm that specializes in high-end residential projects and the occasional commercial project. Nina and her team are currently working on an exceptional project in Dubai, and their large-scale residential projects in Saudi Arabia are ongoing, with most of them pending handover. One of Concept Me's upcoming projects includes two beautiful historic residences in Milan. Guys, she has so much insight. She looks at things differently, and I love it. I love it when people approach something like an interior design or architecture business and then completely flip everything on its head. It's clearly working for her, and I can't wait to hear what she has to say to all of us. And really, this is one episode that I'm going to listen to a second, maybe a third time, because she's not a marketer, but she has a lot of intrinsic knowledge about marketing. And that's why I wanted to have her on the show. And that's why I want you guys to hear what she has to say. Before we get into that amazing conversation, I want to thank our sponsors for today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Side Door. As an interior designer, you might feel like the only way to make more money in your business is to work more hours or hire more people or set up a retail location and basically drive yourself a little crazy, right? All of this at the expense of your family, your mental health, and your physical well-being. Side Door presents another option. Selling trade-only products and earning a commission of around 30% on each sale is genius. Not only do you have far more income potential than affiliate marketing has to offer, but you also don't have to worry about the headache of inventory, handling orders, shipping, returns, or customer support. Just curate a room package, make the sale, and get paid. Sidedoor does the rest. You can sell each package over and over, or you could even offer a custom service that allows you to handcraft a package for each client. Either way, Sidedoor is a smarter way to scale your design firm. To earn money with them, apply to join. Go to OnSideDoor.com and get started today. This episode is also brought to you by Angel's Linings. Do you own a window treatment workroom? Do you like working with vendors who can ship quickly, accurately, and are actually really nice to work with? Well, of course you do. And that's why I'm proud to share Angel's Linings with you. They are a family-run company specializing in drapery linings and offering competitive pricing. They have really cool things like same-day shipping, attentive customer service, an expansive product line, 
like decorative, blackout, life-altering fabrics, and inner linings to make your custom window treatment products even more spectacular. They also include a Tootsie Pop in every order just because they like you. Yes, they're that kind of company. It's really great. To place your first order with Angels Linings, go to angelslinings.com. All right, guys, let's get into today's interview with Nina. Marketing your interior design or home staging business should be easy and relational. My name is Kate the Socialite, and I believe in action, not just ideas. And I share strategies that have proven to work right here every week. If you're serious about growing your business in the home industry, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Kate Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Kate Show. I'm here with Nina, and I am so excited to talk to her because she has so much brilliant wisdom when it comes to not just being an interior designer, but running the business side of things. And Nina, I'm here to ask you all the questions. So thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Kate, for having me. It's a pleasure, and I'm excited to share everything about our business. Yes, and I read your bio in the intro, so people already have like a general idea of who you are and what you do, but what I would really like to start with is your origin story, because you grew up near Paris, you're of Persian heritage, that right mm-hmm. there is a unique combination, and I would love to know how all of that helped you really influence and inspire your career now as a designer. Sure. So as you said, so I was born and raised uh, in a city very close to Paris, an hour from Paris, and I moved to Paris for my architecture studies. So I, I studied in the very famous school of Paris Malaquais, which is the, the Beaux-Arts of Paris for the art lovers. They would know it for sure in Paris. So I studied architecture. And as you said, my heritage being Persian, I think the way this has influenced me being an architect, I'm an architect by training, but of course, in our business, we do everything from architecture to interior design to procurement. So our work and the spectrum of the work that we do is very, very broad. So in terms of Parisian culture and Persian culture, I always say where people ask me, where are you from? I I always say, you know, like I'm a Parisian Persian. I mean, how not to be influenced by just living in Paris, you know, like growing up in France on its own. No disrespect was growing up anywhere else in the U.S., but I don't think you can compare the urban fabric of, you know, Europe, of cities like Rome, Paris, you know, with newer cities. So Right, absolutely. I mean, I grew up in this environment and like even as a kid, you know, even when I was like 12, 13, I had membership to all the art museums. I started art school at a very young age. So I was very drawn into into art and the creative field from a very young age. For a fact, like my mom, you know, it's a funny story, but I remember starting preschool at the age of three or four. And I don't know what normal kids are starting to draw properly, but I remember my preschool teacher telling my mom, this is incredible. The first day after school, she drew a full houses with humans and, you know, sofas. And so I was very much drawn. Like I knew, you know, I was one of those kids that knew from the age of like, really three, four, they would ask me, what do you want to do? I would say, I want to be an architect, you know? So that was interesting. So I think, yeah, the French and Parisian heritage is just, you know, I grew up in the Europe, in an extraordinary urban fabric, you know, where without you wanting it, I think your perception really gets influenced by your surroundings. And my Persian heritage, I would say, 
it's more on the culture and you know I come from a lineage of very strong women so I think this has really influenced me you know in terms of developing my character and you know like being really a leader into saying you know I want to start my business right after school and you know my behavior and relationship with with others I think was was influenced by my Persian heritage and on top of that I always say that you know the more you travel the more I would say cultural kind of backgrounds and if you're rich culturally and you've traveled a lot it makes you a much better designer because you just see things differently you know you go to Asia and you see cities and you see urban fabric and you go to the US and you see something completely different and so I was very lucky enough beyond my double heritage to have traveled massively during you know during my childhood basically so I think it helps yeah yeah, because a lot of us, especially, and I'll just speak for myself, like here in the U.S., we do get yeah. stuck in a box. We get yeah. landlocked, and that's usually by choice, you know, or just not realizing, oh, I could go here. I could travel. I could experience yeah. all these things. Yeah. But yes, it, it is so fascinating that, to your point, living in older cities, like ancient yeah. cities, that yeah. is an extremely different experience than coming yeah. to... New York City or LA, where everything is fresh and new and popping up all over the place all the time. So when you're working on your projects, well, tell us about your projects, because you've yeah. got some some wild things going on in Dubai and then in Saudi Arabia. So yeah. share whatever you would like. So basically, when I started the company 14 years ago now, which doesn't make me any younger, we really, you know, I think when you start your career, you kind of go for whatever comes. We've been really focusing for the past three, four years on very high-end residential projects because I realized this was really exciting me from learning from different crafts, different suppliers. What was motivating me and what was exciting is to learn new things, you know, on a, on a monthly basis. So I, I we shifted little by little from doing commercial projects, even though they were high-end or offices or, you know, to high-end residential because no matter what you say, this is where we could go the highest end, right? Like I do have clients that are do doing stunning interior offices. We've handed over two years ago an amazing headquarter where like, you know, the, the budget was like a very nice budget and we're able to do something stunning uh, without limitation. But on the other hand, this is one client out of 100. So right now, we're focusing on high-end residential weather in Dubai. We actually have now projects in Europe we have very nice projects in Milan at the moment. And one of my aim was, you know, moving from Europe to first the Middle East, where the opportunities were massive. Because when you are 22, 23, starting your business, you know, living in the old Europe has advantages for the culture and for the upbringing. But it also has disadvantages in the sense that it's nearly impossible at the age of 22, 23 to, to start your own business. I think in the U.S. it probably would be possible, probably more difficult than what it would have been in the Middle East. It's still way more possible. So I moved into the Middle East thinking that I'm going to build a portfolio here. And then from here, basically last year we started projects, you know, in Europe, which was really my aim. We basically handle A to Z processes. So the clients generally call us at the time of either buying a land or even, you know, they would call me saying, Nina, fly tomorrow to Paris or to Milan, or I want to show you those properties. Which one do you think would be best to kind of flip completely? Uh, you know, this summer in July, a client called me and said, can you be in Milan tomorrow morning? I'm like, sure. And, you know, we went to a 
crazy rooftop, which was like completely destroyed. I mean, something that you could imagine a historical building in Italy from the early, earliest 20th century. And he said, can you turn this into something extraordinary? And I'm like, sure, you know, it's going to take two years, but sure, you know. And then from that word, yes, sure. The client says, goodbye, here are the funds, see you in two years, you know. So it's very challenging. Then from that point to then, you know, delivery, let's say, you know, whatever, 18 to 20 months later. It's great, but in the same time, it's a lot of responsibility. Right now, we're working on a very nice project here in Dubai, which is one of the beautiful penthouses of one of the island. And it was very advertised. It was in the newspaper last year because the selling price tag was like insane. And so we got to do um, that project. You know, of course, the client is involved, like any client, but minimally involved. You know, so he he doesn't know who the contractor is. He has no idea what comes from where. All of that is a sign of trust to us. But it's a massive responsibility because guess what? If something comes wrong, then it's it's on me. You know, it's not on the, the builder, the contractor, the suppliers. It's on us. So we've developed this very particular business model of handling the process from A to Z, basically. And that is fascinating because there are a lot of designers who find that their client's involvement is actually the most difficult part because it's like the client won't just let them do their thing. But you're working with a different demographic altogether. And I'm very curious, how did you get that first client in the ultra wealthy level? Because that had to have been a bit of a challenge. Yeah, I mean, look, for the defense of all your audience, I do think the hardest part of our job is the client's involvement. And that (laughs) is really like at this point of my career is also really affecting my future choices, which I kind of can talk about of where the company is going later on. But this is definitely the hardest part. But um, how did I get my first client is actually a funny story, which I'll try to summarize in, in five minutes. So I'm basically 22, just graduated from seven years of studying architecture. I'm 23, sorry. Studying seven years architecture school in France. I had an opportunity to move to Saudi Arabia for four months to teach the first batch of female architect graduating. They had no idea that I would have been their age. So I went to teach a semester. So I ended up seeing so many opportunities because Saudi of, let's say, 12, 13 years ago is very different from the Saudi of today. It was very closed at the time. Today is very open. The country is booming. A lot of foreign investments, a lot of mega gigantic construction. But at the time, a French Iranian woman landing at 23 was very rare. And so I was supposed to stay four months just for a semester. It was my first salary, literally like out of school. And you're talking 2008. 2008 was worldwide global crisis, no job. Like it was honestly better for me to go than to stay in Paris and have no job or work at McDonald's because this is literally, there was no job in architecture agencies or interior design offices at the time, honestly. After two months being there, so, you know, meeting people at the beach, in dinners, like in social events, uh, my neighbor ended up being this British contractor that was working in Saudi for the past 30 years. And, you know, at 23, you're very naive. You don't know who is who, you know, especially when you don't come from those very wealthy kind of background. You know, I come from a very normal family. My mom is a teacher. My dad is an engineer, you know, so 
you know, you're a bit naive, let's say, you know, you don't know who are those massive industrial families that are running the country. So this contractor said, Nina, I have those very important clients. They've been trying to build their property for four years. They've hired different architects. They've hired a, a design office in in LA. They've then fired them. Then they hired a design office in London. They fired them. Then they hired two design offices in Saudi. They fired them. It's not working out. Would you mind giving them some sketches, some ideas? And so, you know, I went to meet them and I saw the drawings that were done prior. And I was like, I thought it was horrendous. You know, like, I don't know if it was pretentious of me, but it was really coming from a very ethical background of like French culture. Things should be done a certain way. Architecture and interior design is not this, you know, all the time people think, you know, it's just we invent everything from our head that there are no rules and it's not like that. We know proportion matters. We know, you know, planning takes learning. You don't wake up one day and, and start designing a proper plan or a proper layout, right? So so anyway, to make it short, I met the client and I was the contractor was sweating because I was 23 and I had no idea who those people were. I just knew they were very important people. And I said, look, I'm going to be very frank with you. All the designs <laughs> that you got now are horrendous, are terrible. Please, I know I have no experience, but please give me two, three weeks. I don't want any money because, you know, I can't ask for money at the age of 23 and no experiences. They just give me a trial chance. I'm going to get back to you. And so I called all my friends in Paris because we all just freshly graduated. And I had received my first salary at the time, which was like somewhere around three, four thousand dollars. So this is what I have in my account. And I tell all my friends. I pay you each 200 euro, or $200 a week. Please work on it with me. And we worked, we didn't sleep for like probably two weeks. And after two weeks, I went with more boards than all those offices that were paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to do, and they didn't like it at the end. So this is how I got my first project. I laid in, I'll never forget, A3 boards on a 16-seater table. And I think they were shocked because they couldn't believe that in two weeks, without asking any money, we had produced that amount of work and so they said okay prepare a contract this is your first project and this was my first basically 4,000 square meter project which is like 40,000 square feet which is massive you know as your first project a villa from a to z you know so it was full on from the architecture to the interiors to even ffne so yeah it was a huge uh, curve of learning basically this is how i got my first project and how i entered I would say this demographic, you know, because I always say only the first client matters. Even when you want to enter a new market, only the first client matters. Then if you do your job right, I'm not saying you don't need to do efforts, but, you know, that's why I don't go to any networking events, you know, because it's just then referred, basically. Yeah. I always tell my clients that word of mouth referral is a sign that your business is healthy and your brand is strong yeah. and you don't have to worry about getting clients from other places because they're not going to always be the best clients if they come from other places. Finding you mm -hmm. out of the blue or for some people on it's on social. In your situation though, when you're 23 years old and you do this project that's 40,000 square feet, I mean, were you equal parts terrified and excited or what did that moment feel like? I think I think really when you're like 23 you're, you're in a mindset of, and this is how I, I always was, you know, even as a kid, I was kind of, you know, saying yes and sorting out the details later, you know, mm, so I said yes. yes, 
And I literally called my friends and I said, that's it, you have a job now because everybody was jobless in Paris. Yeah. Keep in mind, I still had a full-time job at the time because at the time, Saudi Arabia was very strict in terms of visa and residency. So I still had to teach in interior design, in the interior design department of the of the school. And I had the project on the side. So um, terrifying, not really. Exciting, yes. And there was a lot of tears, you know, because... Those British contractors, we still work with them. I mean, they're also towards the end of their career. You know, they've done 40 years of beautiful high-end projects. So, I mean, they were very tough. They were extremely tough. You know, I remember us submitting a first batch of maybe 600, 700 drawings. And, you know, Kate, we had forgotten the socket outlets. Oh, no. (laughs) At school, they don't teach you about electrics. I mean, you do, but like very theoretically, you know. Nobody comes to you, oh, you have to make sure to not forget the plugs. Again, we studied architecture. You know, I became an interior designer by practicing because, you know, I signed architecture and interior design. So I came out of school with no knowledge really of interior design or FFNE or zero. And I learned it all, you know, and I think when you learn something on your own, you learn it actually 10 times better. Because anyway, you have no choice. It's there. You know, the building is going up and they're telling you where the hell are going to be the socket outlets, where are the switches, you know? So you actually need to realize, okay, I need to do this. So, I mean, yeah, this is, we learned the hard way. But yeah, I mean, I think working with this British contractor initially developed in me, I was very detail-oriented already, but we became very, very precise. And so I can thank them 15 years down the line because right now the kind of drawings we submit go directly on site. Another way which we really got projects along the years was through our builders because the builders were always so happy to work with us. You know, usually like there are a lot of design offices that would produce very conceptual drawings. That's the case a lot in Europe. You know, I see a lot of European offices in Milan, in Paris. I can say it because this is where I also got my education. This is all where all my friends are. There's no knowledge of going very deep technically because you do the concept and then the work would go to the builder and then the builder is going to develop shop drawings and and technicality of it. But we don't function like this. We developed all the technicality aspect of it and then we coordinate with the builders basically. So they, I think the builders also appreciate working with us. At least this is the feedback that I got. And always the builders have recommended to us to potential new clients, you know, knowing what we were capable of and then, you know, basically directing us towards the, the, the right people too. You know, there are two things that I want to pull out from what you just said. The first one is that really you were confident even before the success came. And a lot of people in design will say, well, once I get my first few clients, then I'll be confident, then I'll take risks on myself, and then I'll start to believe in myself. And you flipped that completely upside down. And that's been, from what I can see as an outsider, one of your greatest strengths. And do you have any other thoughts to add to that? Because what you do, it's not normal, but it's wonderful. No, I mean, thank you so much. I think, I mean, it's a matter of personality. I remember even from the design school, I think there are a zillion people more talented than I am, you know, like probably in design. However, I think the way you speak, the way you sell yourself, I think as a business owner is the number one priority. Remember the demographics we target and the demographic we started to work with, they would detect if you're 
not confident yourself about something you designed, they will detect it. Remember, you're talking of high net worth individuals that have traveled the world, that are used to the best services in the world. Believe me, if you say, mm, I'm not sure, that's it. The I'm not sure becomes no, rejected revise the design you know and you know there are times that i was not sure myself but you have to develop this ability to have extra confidence to what you present because otherwise it's never going to work especially with that demographic so so yeah very early on i i learned to and i think it has a lot to do with personality but also you have to really work on yourself to to have that you know you have days where you're not happy. Like you have days like any other human being where, you know, you want to stay at home under your blanket, but then guess what? You have a meeting with a client where your smile needs to be until here. You need to be ultra confident of what you're saying. And sometimes you need to be very, very creative of the way you're saying it. And yeah, I always remember, I learned this from school. I saw people that were ultra talented, not knowing how to communicate verbally and being destroyed by the jury members, you know, like, France, in terms of education, is extremely tough when it comes to, you know, education of the studies. Like we had professors ripping off our boards, you know, in architecture school. That's not something that I've seen anywhere else in the world, you know. So I think France has that mindset, very chaotic mindset of the professor being so important. And honestly, one person out of two would come out in tears of our final kind of presentation. So I think from that, it's also really trained me to not get destabilized you know, because the client would say, you know, any kind of comments. And then you have to really keep a straight face and very confident on standing on your grounds, basically. Yes. And you're right. That's not really done here in the U.S. I mean, professors aren't yelling at their students and tearing apart yeah. their work. So that's really initiation by fire from the start. Yeah. And maybe that's something we should implement here. I don't know. <laughs> Look, your clients are going to be like this. I mean, again, yeah. I think, you know, I always thought that the Middle Eastern clients were very difficult. And that's why I decided to shift more to a European market. But then I realized our demographic is very difficult. They're very, very picky. So, you know, like if you don't stand your ground, then that's it. You're done, you know? Yeah. This episode of The Kate Show is brought to you in part by Socialite Vault. Did you guys know we give away free marketing templates in the vault? That's right. You don't have to be a member to test drive these templates. Just go to socialitevault.com and click on the freebies tab. These templates are specific to designers, stagers, workrooms, and organizers. They're beautiful and easy to edit in Canva. Go to socialitevault.com to grab your templates now. So you mentioned that even the ultra-talented people would get torn apart, whether it's by a professor or by a client. And you had mentioned something in one of your Instagram videos that you really yeah. feel that skill as a designer is almost not as important as your ability to communicate and network. Can you kind of break that apart for me? 100%. I mean, of course, I think your design skills and your design eye is major, especially if you want to do a very kind of high-end project and very detail-oriented and, and target a specific niche. However, again, it goes back to what we just said. If your communication skills are lacking, then no way you can convince a client to go with your ideas. Mm -hmm. So no way you can even convince a client to work with you, right? So I think initially, even if you come up recommended by three people, you have to go introduce yourself and the person must 
you know, kind of have chemistry with you and the vibe that should be communicated is this person is confident, this person is competent, my project is going to get done. And I can put trust in that person because of, you know, like she can prove to me that the work she's done prior. Imagine if you're 25, 26 on your first project, it's way harder than it is for me now. Now I have a, you know, track, a record of projects. But when I was 25, 26, it's really about communication. And, and convincing people that you're the right person for the job. So, so yeah, I think communication is your number one skill in anything that you do, in any services, and especially when you're a business owner. I think number one, communication, not only with your client, with your contractors, with your suppliers, you know, you want to get things done, right? So if you lack communication skills, then believe me, you will get less favors from your suppliers. You will get less understanding from your contractors so on and so on. So I think, you know, it's a, it's a snowball effect, right? Yeah. Oh, I agree with all of that so much because really what you're talking about, uh, communication relationships, that's marketing. It's just yeah. not the fancy shiny marketing of, you know, well, I'm doing Instagram while I'm running ads. You're doing the type of marketing that has stood the test of time since the beginning of time, really. Yeah. Proving yeah. yourself, communicating well, and clearly that's working. So I want to go back to something that you and I chatted about right before I hit record, because mm -hmm. a lot of my listeners are very hung up on marketing and yeah. they feel like they need to use certain online methods to get clients. And if they don't do that, they're just not going to get the clients. Yeah. But what you're saying is that the relationship and the network are really the main ways that you're getting those clients. And I would like to know, are you doing anything else to facilitate getting those clients or are you using the more traditional marketing methods for different purposes and different intentions? Look, I mean, honestly, the new methods of marketing, we've never used a single time to get to clients. I mean, just to be very clear, we did our social media accounts from YouTube to Instagram, to newsletters, to our website, to kind of um, show the substance of the work. Because I think too often I see online people posting like a zillion 3Ds, but then, you know, what's the use if there's no substance behind, then if this is executed completely differently, then to me is a complete failure. So yeah, I mean, our social media was really to kind of create a brand rather than, you know, for the business aspect. Like I'm sure I could have gone decades without doing any social media would keep on having clients again keep in mind again it's a certain demographic the demographic we're targeting doesn't care of instagram actually doesn't care of youtube doesn't care of tiktok i mean our clients probably don't even they have it but they don't follow us probably even on social media from very very far so i think i always say in my case working with a high net worth individual demographic and you know we keep on raising the bar when it comes to our project it's not about being in a zillion networking event you know now in two weeks time there is salone del mobile in milan which is the biggest design fair in the world so people are flying from all over the us europe like asia this is a week where it's insane like there's 500,000 people in one place guess what this year for the first time i've decided not to go because it makes me sick and I just don't see the value of it. I don't see the value of going to a zillion networking events. For me, I'd rather go one-on-one -on -one with people where you can actually build proper relationship. And I got more clients out of having a dinner with three people 
than going to a networking event. And like everybody, my supplier hates me, believe me, like on a weekly basis. And I feel guilty. We receive invitation, go to that dinner, go to that launch. But I don't see the value added, you know, in terms of our work. So for me, I see it as a waste of time, you know, and I'm, you know, I have my friends on the side. I don't need to go make more friends. Okay, it's fun. But um, but yeah, in that sense, I prefer uh, prioritizing authentic relation and you know the the online putting a lot of things online to us has not really there's no return in the business the brand yes the brand and the fact that i can do this podcast with you or that i can do podcasts with other people we've been requested for interviews in different magazines so you know radio interviews so it's for that aspect but a radio interview also i adapt or even will not bring me clients again or like the client that i want the client that i want comes from recommendation from a current client or from you know just now i mean i received a call yesterday and i'm having a meeting tomorrow the director of the property of the bulgari because we're doing a penthouse in the bulgari gave my car to a new owner that bought another penthouse you know so this is how it works the director likes us sees that the process of the site is much smoother than with other companies that are building in the same residence so this is how you know we i didn't need to go to a networking event i just needed to do my work correctly and have good relation with everybody surrounding it, you know, with no ego. You know, this is one thing like I find designers, architects, interior designers usually have a lot of ego. And for me, it's very important that the job we do, everybody's on the same level. Like the builder is as important as our supplier, as important as us, as every single person. Like our job is nothing without being executed, you know, because we don't work uh, theoretically, right? Our job is to be built is to create spaces that exist for human beings right so it's that aspect is very important from paper to reality yeah i really appreciate your perspective on where the clients come from and being so solid and you know where they're not going to come from so that you know yeah. where and where yeah. not to be directing your efforts and to have the right expectations because there are a lot of designers listening who will be like well, i'm investing thousands of dollars into instagram yeah. and i'm not getting clients from it and they are designers and stagers and organizers who are working with a person of higher net worth because what they yeah. offer is a luxury service. So we've actually looked at the data on Instagram to see like, are people yeah. in that bracket making buying decisions of that caliber based on what's posted on social media? And the answer is no. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for confirming that. It's really actually a validating thing to hear you say. Yeah, yeah, but I think this is, I can add, I think social media is important to show the behind of the scenes. And yes. I think this is what I liked to do, you know, is really to, to showcase the bottom of the iceberg rather than the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, and that's smart. It, it is branding. It's a branding tool. It's not a cure-all. Now that we have those insights regarding where the clients are coming from, what you're using for branding, and really the strategy you've implemented since the beginning of your career. I mean, you went into this, like, not necessarily knowing where it would end up, but you knew who you were from the start. And, like, that is so powerful. So now I'd like to know where are you taking the business now? Because a lot has happened in the last 14 years. A lot has happened. And, and you know, just to reassure younger people, no, I didn't know necessarily 
who I was or what I wanted to do. And I think there was to comfort people in the life of a business. There is so much trial and errors, you know, like it was not just a, you know, a, a straight line or, or an ascending line. Like it was a lot of upside down, a lot of sweat, blood and tears, you know, so, and really trials, like, you know, how many times I thought I have to quit this business and then to realize that this is my gift and this is what I'm really good at. Interestingly, a year and a half ago, I sat the whole team and I said, I can't take it anymore. Just I want to give you also like the behind of the scenes, you know, yeah. uh, you know, as designers, I think interior designers, architects, when you have your own business is such a time consuming job. Like I think my biggest challenge always was like work life balance, you know, not only as a business owner, but also because we know from studying architecture and interior design you do long hours like go work in any interior design office in new york in paris in london people don't leave their offices before 10 p.m i think already the nature of the job is like that and two years ago i was like something must change and i so i attributed to our market to the market we were working in because i was like okay i'm european most of my team is european I have a team in Milan, I have a team in Paris, we have people here in Dubai, and all of us are mainly like, you know, very uh, cosmopolitan. And and I'm like, maybe it's the fact that it's the Middle East. The Middle East is a very tough place to work. There are so much opportunities, so many like projects. But on the other hand, it's also, I thought it's the Middle East. And then I was like, okay, let me try to switch markets or let me try to switch a bit the clientele, you know, which is on its own quite difficult to do. So I was like, let me switch from my Middle Eastern market to a bit European market. So we did this successfully. And so we moved from having our most important project now are in Milan. And then I realized, Kate, it's exactly the same. I realized it's not about the market you're in. And we actually wrote very recently, uh, we write those thought pieces on LinkedIn about it's not about the market. It's about the values that you want to build in your business and the people that you want to work with. Because, you know, we're doing the balance. Okay, in Dubai, things go very fast. However, we struggle so much with the contractors because they're not necessarily detail-oriented. You need to be on top of their head. And the clients are like this. And the clients are so aggressive and they scream at us. Then we went to Europe. We got clients that are way more polite, way more, let's say, because they have way more education towards design, you know, right? So in that sense, they know this is a service that you give that doesn't fall from the sky. And I think because the, the Middle East is a bit of a more new market. I think they don't realize that it actually takes a, a lot of time to design something. In Europe, this understanding is there. However, there are many other constraints. You know, So I realized then I thought, what's my biggest issue in my business right now? are my clients. And I'm like, I've developed developed the skills of doing projects from A to Z. So the past year and a half, we realized that our clients would buy properties for them, but because they have us for investment purposes, right? So they would invest a few millions of dollars into a stunning property, say goodbye to us. Literally, like I have a scene of going at 8 a.m. with a client, bought a property, gave me the keys and disappeared. He's like, Give me this property finished. And guess what? This property, when it finished, like six, seven, eight months later, he sold it 40% higher. Hence, all he did was to put the money. The rest of the skills came from us and the team, you know? So I realized this skill set that we built was very, very unique. So the next step for me is really to kind of 
eliminate the client. Maybe that's going to be shocking, but eliminate the client as we speak in the sense that the client that's involved, that's telling you put a red velvet instead of putting a blue velvet. And you know that the red velvet is going to look horrendous or put this chair instead of that chair. And this doesn't sit with me well anymore. I don't know if it's because it's 15 years of people trying to tell me what to do. But there's a point where for me, I know we've developed a skill set. I don't want to say no to my, like, I, we, we still have our traditional project. But I think in the next six to eight months, we're working on having our own first project, owned from A to Z, meaning let this be our own property. Let us flip it completely the way we want it at a very, very high level in a very bold manner. Because, you know, most often the clients are scared, right? The clients are scared of putting that crazy piece with a character or the clients are scared of doing a whole painted wall. It's too bold for them. And most clients, I realize, they want this generic, in French, we say passe-partout, like a look that could work a bit everywhere. But I don't think that makes the highest end design. You know, I think the highest end design are made with that little edge. And you see designers like that became really famous, like Kelly Wurstler in the US, Kelly Hoppens in the UK, like India Mahdavi. You, you see those people, they've reached that level because I don't think anybody tells them what to do, you know, because they've developed that brand. So our marketing was for that reason too, to, to kind of little by little reach a point where people would tell us, this is the project, we have a minimum involvement. But even that minimum involvement, I feel for me, it cannot be full-time anymore. And I really would like to experience having, you know, a full control from A to Z of what I could do with the space, you know? So this is where we're leaning towards next. And we're even thinking, you know, we always talk with Cassandra and we're like, you know, imagine how amazing our social media could be because we have full control over everything. You know, now it's still sometimes a bit sensitive, you know, going to film in those very high-end properties is not something that is very well seen in this part of the world, you know, or in general with that demographic because, you know, they want to kind of keep secret their interiors and their, their projects. That is really fascinating because when you have a beautiful project that you've worked on and you can't film it, you can't take pictures of it. It has to be frustrating. I have a lot of designers here in the U.S. who experience the same thing. It's like the more elaborate the project, the less they can share about it. So how, but my, how do you... my, to talk about this, to advise anybody who's in this situation, yeah. you know, I took a very big leap of faith a few months ago when we had decided to go full on with our marketing. At a point, I, I said to myself, if a project doesn't bring us the right finances, the right marketing, and the right happiness, I'm not interested into it. And for me, those were the three intrinsic conditions to sign a project. So I had a client a few months ago with a project I really, really wanted to do and told me, I'm sorry, you can't film. And I said, then I'm sorry to tell you this, but then I can't do your project. I had to really stand my ground because I'm like, I'm going to spend a year doing a project and this person is not going to allow me to take photos. And it happened to us in the past. And believe me, I cried for three days straight because I'm like, this is four years of my life. And the client, the minute he got his stunning project, treated us like so poorly because we came with our photographer, which is our work. You know, we're not filming your bedroom or like it's, it's how do you expect us to showcase our work? You know, so right, right. I think I, I stand in my ground and I said, I'm sorry. 
if you don't allow me to, and I explained the reason without being aggressive. I said, listen, this is our work. I'm dedicating, I'm prioritizing this project. I'm giving you a year of my time, which is at least, you know, out of, we don't take a zillion project at the same time. We're a small boutique scale firm of about 12 to 15 people, depending on the time. So it's just at the end of the day, we might have four projects at the time, you know? So this, it's 20% of my time, 30% of my time. So if I'm not able to record and to have a track record of what I'm doing, then a major requirement of that project is gone. And it doesn't worth it for me. Unless you pay me 10 times what you were supposed to pay me, which no <laughs> clients are going to pay me 10 times what they were supposed to pay me. You know what I mean? So yeah. I would really recommend people to stand on their ground and to explain their clients the importance of marketing and to build a portfolio you know that is actually a very good angle because a lot of people feel like they can't push back when the client says no but just like how some designers are like um, all my client wants is something neutral something safe and i want to do something that's bold that will be something they love it's the same concept of it's okay to push back tactfully when the client is like no But that does, again, require a certain level of confidence. And I would imagine the more confident you are when you're pushing back, the more receptive they're going to be to considering your perspective. Yeah, it takes time. I mean, again, this is something like, and you do the mistake, you know, I did the mistake of not pushing back when it came to marketing and photographs several times, several projects. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Like we kind of, we don't have the material that we would love to show, you know, that we would, we know would give us great, you know, kind of marketing and great features. But so I can't do that mistake. So I think once you do once or twice that mistake, then you explain very diplomatically the importance of it to the client. And if they're not willing to see it, then it's up to you whether your finance or your happiness worth it or if it doesn't worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you're looking at the bird's eye view of the work that my team and I are putting into this project for however many months or years is actually yeah. an investment and in marketing towards the next project yeah, versus exactly. looking at it like, okay, I'm doing this project, I'm not going to think about anything else. There's no strategy. There's nothing. And then I'm just, I'm just going to think about this project. And then when it's done, I'll figure out where the next project is coming from. Yeah. And the earlier designers can do that, the more successful they're going to be. You know, it took time for me to learn this. And uh, I think we're always very shy because we feel our clients are paying us, so they have all the rights. Well, really, yep. that's not the case, you know? Yep. So, yeah, in that sense, even though, like, I think for me, it's always, and I have a very strong personality, and I tell clients, you're doing a mistake. But then, you know, at the end, if they really want that chair or that layout, I can't force them. I tell them, listen, I recommend you not to do that. And I think this is against what would be best, but this is your property you will live in it, you have to enjoy it at the end of the day, you know. I also don't agree too much with the whole all egocentric designers that you see a copy-paste project in all their projects, you know. So, I mean, those are great, but then if you go to them, you know what they're going to give you. You know, don't expect to go to X designer that has, that's what they're doing, and this is what you're going to get. So my own clients have done that mistake, you know. They went to, I'm not going to mention the name, but to very, very worldwide famous designers and got back to me after because they realized that they will get not something generic, but the brand, the stamp that that designer does goes into all their properties, you know, so they don't get something that lace like custom made, you know, that we were giving them because for us, what's more important is 
the client and what he wants rather than our brand and all our projects are so different from one another, you know? Yes, yes, exactly. I think that there is a big trend right now, especially in the US and the UK, where all the design projects tend to mirror each other. Yeah. And because a lot of it is, well, what's trending? What's at high point? And yeah. the designers that we're working with in my agency are like, you know, I want to get away from that because I design for the client. I'm not designing for a trend that's going to be out in a year or two. And yeah. um, again, it's just that long-term perspective versus yeah. short-term. You know, everything that you've shared today has been really helpful, entertaining. I just want to say thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on the show. I enjoyed the questions very much. Now, where can other designers follow you if they would like to just watch your journey and really learn from you? I mean, on multiple platforms from Instagram to YouTube, we always post crazy stories and like long format videos of behind the scenes of what we do. Uh, Instagram for shorter version. I don't even have TikTok, but I know Cassandra, <laughs> our team posts a lot on TikTok. Then more corporately, LinkedIn, we always publish on a monthly basis articles about a certain topic, you know, let it be all the different topics we discussed, uh, one market versus the other, high-end clients versus commercial clients. So we always have a lot of different topics to discuss. And yeah, so from LinkedIn to corporate to Instagram to YouTube, I think your audience can follow us on all those various platforms. Awesome. And I'm going to have those linked, especially your Instagram, um, in the show notes of this episode. So everybody listening, head to the show notes at thekateshowpodcast.com so that you can stay in touch with what Nina is doing. And Nina, I do want to just, like you listed all the different ways that you're marketing and putting yourself out there. So I just want to wrap it up with a nice little bow because you said before we even started recording and then a little bit we referenced it during the call, but all these amazing efforts you're putting into your digital presence yeah. are for your branding, not for getting new clients. And that, and, yeah, because I just want to highlight that because a lot of people have that backwards. And, you know, it's a huge luxury, by the way, because it's go, a lot of effort goes into it, a lot of time, a lot of money goes into it. But I mean, it's for the greater good in the sense that it gives people a perspective of what we're doing, you know, like, really in no means our client and for me i use our instagram account because we really create it right or from our website to our instagram account i really almost use it as a portfolio you know like on a daily basis i'm somewhere and i want to explain a client or a contractor a detail very often i would open my instagram and show something um it happened also that our clients have seen a videos and they would literally take a snapshot of the video and like send it to us but really it's for the branding, it's for, you know, the concept we brand to, to expand and for us to reach the point where clients are not going to tell us what to do anymore, you know, but it's yes. no mean to attract clients because the people we've attracting are actually so far away from our target markets that we always politely, you know, reply, you know, sorry, this is, we're not interested or that's not what we're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's it's more to entertain people, to give educational tips and to kind of showcase the behind of the iceberg and the behind the scene of what goes into this very, very complicated job. <laughs> yes. And and really, that's the proper use of social media. And that's why it's working for you, you know, working in the sense that you are amassing a following, you're inspiring and helping even other designers and, you know, the homeowners who message you about, well, yeah. uh, which sofa should I buy? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> a lot of designers do get bombarded with that and that can be a little bit frustrating but I like your perspective on business and marketing and the way that you have really broken the mold and made this work for you so everyone listening yeah. please go check out Nina she has a lot to offer you and um, until next time keep your marketing simple your message clear and I will talk to you soon Thanks for listening. Visit us at the Kate Show where we empower home professionals with marketing confidence.